Hi, I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and you're listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. super excited. This is a quick bonus episode before I start my season five of Queer Teen Podcasts called Queer Religion. But first, let's sit back and listen to this very special guest that I had on talk about all things queer and lawful. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of QT. I'm super excited for my next guest. I found them on the Instagram talking about a whole lot of stuff. So we're gonna get into it, uh, take it away. Hello audience, my name is Brianna A. Jenkins. I wear uh, many hats. Um, I co-host the podcast, I'm also a podcaster. I co-host the podcast. Box number five, twelve podcast, grown black trans women talk um, with my sister, um, the lioness, aka Samaya. Uh, we started that about in March, and we about we almost forty episodes in. Um, also, I'm a civil rights attorney. I work at a large um, nonprofit um, in Washington D.C., working on mainly civil rights case. Um, and my the pro- the project that I'm, I'm in now, we work on civil rights as it pertains to education. Um, so K through 12, all the way up to college education. Um, I also am a trans advocate or activist, however you want to see me. Um, that's something I'm very passionate about. I'm also a legal scholarly writer. So I, I'm definitely, I, I have my hand in a, a lot of different pots, but um, I let my passion for the community um, drive me to um, do whatever Whatever, whatever activity or project moves me. Wow. All right. You better get into the community. <laughs> right. Awesome. I love it. What um what made you decide to go into um specifically civil rights um law? Uh so life is a winding winding road. I was never one of those kids that knew that I was going to be a lawyer from like, like, I didn't know what I was going to do, even when I graduated from undergrad in 2011, but just different life circumstances and um, how I had to push up against the legal system, um, primarily through uh, going through the stages of my transition, it got me really interested in the law. And then once I, once I um, started my um, own nonprofit, the Baltimore Transgender Alliance, I started to see a lot clearer how trans lives and Black lives are directly impacted by the law and how um, the law is used as a tool to oppress those folks. And by becoming a lawyer, I could play a part in not only advocating for all of the communities that I represent and marginalized communities in general, but just being that voice that um, starts to change um, the law. So so, uh, civil rights was the only way that got me to law school. And I kind of, you know, went through a wandering path of, well, do I still want to do civil rights? Because I have student loans now and I want to make money. 
But ultimately, by the end of my um, matriculating through law school, um, the universe was placing me in positions to show me that this is indeed the path that I was meant to go on. Uh, so I'm I'm very happy to be working at a place. My first my first job out of law school, um, working on like very high profile um, in, um, impact cases that will shape that will shape the culture for generations to come and really fighting for basic um, rights, people just being able to access institutions and not being excluded from institutions so that we can all have a fair um, shake at education in this country for now. So um, I'm, I'm, I, I love being, now being able to call myself a civil rights attorney because this is literally what I'm doing every day now. What's it like when you get, um... Cause I don't, I mean, I know laws, but when you sit down, someone's like, here's the case, what have you. And you start to look through the work. I don't know how much you can talk and not talk about, but you do whatever. Uh, what's it, is it, does it seem um, overwhelming to you or does it seem like, all right, we have to put it piece by piece. Like this is the piece that we need to work on first to get to the next piece and then so on and so on. Or do you just, do you have a team of people that like really sit down and back it up you guys back it up for each other in terms of getting it in front of a judge i suppose well so i'm very fortunate i'm very fortunate to work on a, a team that is very diverse and that's very supportive especially me as a young attorney um i i work my supervisors and the other people that i work for and even the head of my organization very super supportive. So typically how it works, usually with like large civil rights organizations, like we, you, you as the person don't find them, we find you. So typically there's some issue, like it's, it starts from something as simple as us watching the news and seeing something happening or just seeing something that's going on and figuring out, we, we know where we, we stand and just trying to figure out how to get in front of it and actually once we figure out how we're going to get in front of it then it goes to okay so who are the people that are impacted by this and we need to find them and um connect with them and see if they possibly want to be represented right so it's about it's, it's about just being aware of what's going on in the world around you and trying to make the connections to the folks that are most impacted and that are the most overlooked and that are really afraid to go out on their own. Like they know the injustice is happening, but when something is institutional or systemic or you have people that have access to insane um, amounts of power and they are wielding it in ways that are harmful to communities, it's scary for one person to stand up against this, especially um, if these people are located like in these flyover states or these red states, um, you know, where a lot of these, like everybody's focused on the inner city, but um, we, a lot of my short time working, we have cases that are literally all over the country yeah. um, where we have to, because everybody's not going to be able to move to uh, inner, a inner city with an LGBT district. Like that's not the reality for everybody in this country. We have um, LGBT folks. We have Black folks that are living like right in the Bible Belt in small towns or in the breadbasket in small town, and they're not going anywhere. And the ultimate goal is that they shouldn't have to, right? 
they should we should be able to live anywhere we want and still have access to the things we need to lead to lead healthy, full, dignified, and quality lives. I mean, that's it. No one's everyone thinks, oh, just move. I go, they shouldn't have to move. It's their hometown. Like, why would you want to move from a place that you absolutely love? Your fit, you have your family, your community. Like, there's no reason for people to move. Right. That's, actually, that's the problem, right? That's what we see through our election system and stuff like that. It's like people actually have moved out of this, the major cities and moved back home during COVID and all. It does actually impact the voting and like how that like goes, follows through. And like, we should be able to live and prosper and anywhere we want. It doesn't matter if it's Mississippi to New York City. You know what I mean? It does. That should not matter. And we know that's the complete divide we have in this country. Um, it's very clear and apparent we have a divide now, even more than ever. All right. Uh, so I, I mean, for me, the work I do and like the people I talk to, it's very apparent to me. But I know it's not to a lot of people. And that's what I think people get confused with. It's like, I'm a huge fan. And I know everyone has their opinion about Sean King. I'm a huge fan of Sean King. And um, he has a lot of, <laughs> he just lost like, he's like, I just lost 50,000 followers because he posted something about Obama and the truth about putting these people in these godlike positions mm-hmm. and not holding them accountable, no matter who they are. Right. You get really confused with that. And that's why laws get broken and people think they can get around things. And that's why I think the work that you're doing, and now that I know that it's all over the country, is so the, the most impactful work. And speaking of the most impactful work, when you do, um, when you, when, since you're just starting and like you're experiencing these, these humans' lives, because they're just lives, people want to live their lives, um, do you find yourself emotionally getting involved or do you do you are you still trying to figure that part out to be like this is the law and i'm gonna fight for you and it is an emotion no matter what because you want to you want these people to live their lives but like where do you find the balance between those two things because i find it very fascinating because there's a lot of civil rights movements there's a lot of things that happen in this country and it's very heightened right now um where do you find the balance like in that in that respect uh, so, so one thing that at least I was taught in law school, particularly with social social justice learn um, lawyering, is that you're always practicing how to maintain that balance, right? You yeah. want to be a fierce advocate for your your client. You want to you you want them to con- you want them to con- you want there to be a connection because if this is a client, and typically civil rights cases, they can. They can be very long. You're ultimately building relationships with these people. You're building, you're, you're built, and these people are dependent on you to explain things to them and to be genuine with them. So you want to have a real relationship. But at the end of the day, I am a lawyer. I, you know, I have taken an oath. So I, I still have to, even if I'm going against somebody that is on a polar opposite of me politically, and I'm pretty like radical with my politics. <laughs> when I'm lawyering and like when I'm interacting with opposing party or uh, it, it's just a certain ele- a level of decorum that you have to carry and you can't you can't act in a way that puts your client's interests in jeopardy. So that's just something that I'm I'm very mindful. But I also make sure that I'm bringing my client's experiences to the room and as somebody and not somebody that's just as a lawyer, but sometimes. I, I I can identify with my clients because I was in their shoes or I'm in their position 
or I have a family member that has been in that position. So I definitely um, bring that experience in the, to the room when I'm um, writing, when I'm when we're having our various uh, meetings um, with collaborative partners, because even on the 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 quote unquote right side of things, there are certain conversations that we have to have. Well, if you want to write about trans folks, like you can't, you can, is there certain stuff that you can't say? Or if you're writing, we're in a more conservative jurisdiction, you know, we, we got to go out of our way to explain stuff because we don't know what type of judge this is or we don't know. Like, just making sure that I, I'm channeling my passion in a way that best advocates for my client and tells my client's story um, in the way that they would tell it if they had, like, the education and all of that. So it's, it's always about... Um, teeter-tottering and just maintaining that balance like being real being authentic but also being professional and getting a job done yeah that's a i mean sometimes it's a circus because you just you're up against so many types of um uh, ideologies too i mean you're up against god if you go to some of these judges and they've been a judge what i don't know 20 years and this is the way they see it they're a white say they're a white man judge who mm -hmm. knows i mean that's the real i don't know why people try to People do try to argue with me about those 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 things and the way that systemic racism is created. I'm like, but it's there. It's not it's not a made up thing. It's never it's around the world. But right, we're talking about America. It's very real here. Like that's why certain things are the way they are in towns and and your local government specifically. That's why I tell people to pay attention to local government more than anything. Vote for your local people that you really truly believe in because that'll just trickle up and off to somewhere. And then another person is, I don't know, super racist and has a power, a position of power. And then obviously we can't get out of a cycle. We can't break the cycle. So right. um, that's it. And um, so uh, a little, what's your story? Like what, where'd you grow up? Like how, how is all that for you? Like getting to this point, like if, if, you, don't, if you don't mind me saying anything about your life. <laughs> Um, so I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. I am a Baltimore girl, specifically. Um, I rep South Baltimore, Brooklyn, Curtis Bay. Like we're like we're like city's edge. Like if I walk down the street, I'll be in the county. I won't be in the city anymore. So um, I'm a Baltimore girl. Graduated from um, Baltimore City College, aka City. I'm in 2006, and then I graduated from Morgan State University at HBCU. In um, 2011, I transitioned. Uh, I physically so like with my story, I always knew I was different, but I didn't know that there was a name for it. Like, I just I just knew that even in my queerness with boys, boys always responded to me like I was a girl. And then I guess once they got that realization, it would be like a switch and they would get real violent because at the time, you know, I was in a boy's shell, I was in a boy's body, but I all, I always knew I was different. I always knew I gravitated more towards the girls. I always knew that the um, boy, boys were attracted to me in, in ways that um, not as a boy attracted to a boy, but a boy attracted to a girl. I, I remember I would have boys from like elementary on up till high school that would like I just wish that you were a girl like if you were a girl we could be together or we could go together but it wasn't until I got to college well not even college like my senior year of high school I met my first trans woman in Baltimore and then that's when I got 
introduced more to the train the trans community in Baltimore. And I ultimately ended up um, like gradually um, transitioning um, like my second or third year in Morgan. And it was an interesting process because I wasn't, when I, when I think back to my undergrad years, I wasn't this activist. Uh, very early in my transition, the goal was to pass. The goal, the goal was to, um, to do enough to assimilate into suchness. So I was very quiet. I was like, I was still me, but like in, in majority spaces, I wasn't the one to advocate for myself. And really there wasn't a lot of, um, the way that the trans movement is organized now and there's like leadership now, when I first transitioned, it was not like that. Um, like there were trans, there were definitely trans people, but we weren't as political as we are now. Um, so I transitioned in, um, through in Morgan, and then by the time I graduated in 2011, um, I just thought because I was this beautiful trans girl that the world was going to open up to me and I was going to have all these opportunities, and that did not happen. So I kind of um, from 2011 to 2016, when I left to go to law school, I was kind of just in this limbo where I knew I wanted to elevate in my life, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know um, what was, I didn't know what was laid out for me. And then I was trying to advance in my transition and then dealing with family stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm the product of a single parent. Um, so I, you know, I was raised by my mom and we had a good relationship, but in high school, when I started to exhibit that something was different about me, our relationship kind of became really contentious because I was starting to express myself in certain ways and she didn't like that. And um, once I eventually transitioned in law school, I mean, not law school, in undergrad, you know, that was really hard for her. And, you know, we, you know, it was rocky for a long time. I can't say now that it's better. Um, it's, our relationship is way better. And, you know, we, we go through picks and valleys, but we are way better than what we were when I first transitioned. But that was a thing for me. Um, so, so it was hard, but I enrolled in a master's degree program, like between that time at University of Baltimore. And that's when I really got serious about, okay, I think I want to go to law school. And you know, th this is a step that I have to take to get to law school. And eventually, um, and also during that time, I became more politicized um, with my uh, with my trans activism, like at the tail end of me and Morgan, I met a black woman trans activist, Sandy Rawls, and she was the beginning of like my political education and my transness and my blackness. And um, during those years, that's when my activism elevated, ultimately uh, created my found my organization. And I, I organized it in a way so that it would thrive once I eventually stepped down to go to law school and relocate to Chicago in 2016. That's great. Uh, that's a great story. I love hearing stories and I I do. I think it's just, uh, I hear you and I see you for that. And it's a, and that's um, part of why I started this podcast was to create these, a space where people literally could just, I mean, I meet kids that are nine that are transitioned and they're like completely living their full self at nine years, 10, 10, 11, 12 years old with trans and queerness and all that stuff. And 
I'm always amazed. I mean, then I meet people that are like 41 that just came out three years ago, you know? Right. Yeah, so, it would have been like mind blowing. I would have loved to transition like younger, but like when I transitioned in the mid 2000s, we just didn't have the language that um, we have now. I know, and it's not that long ago, but it is. Right. It, I try to tell people like 10 years ago, like, the world was not open. Like, you just couldn't walk into a medical center and be like, I need to get on. Like, doctors would literally look at you like, what are you talking about? I'm not prescribing it to you. Um, like, the process to get your name changed. Like, All of you it, know, yeah. I, come from, I come from an era, particularly with Black trans women, where a lot of us that are these... A lot of us come out of sex work. And I definitely had my years where I was a sex worker because I needed money to be able to do these things in order to pass and to and you know it worked for me for a couple of years i eventually got out of it but just because i wanted to do more and i wanted to elevate but you know it was hard it was hard it was a very different if you transition before the obama what i call the obama transitioners like it was a it was a different world and we had to sacrifice uh, a lot and this is not to shade the obama transitioners but like you know pay your homage because a, a lot of us sacrificed a lot to transition um yeah. like i was on black market hormones for years it, which had unknown effects on my bodies but you just you just cannot access hormones like that in the ways in which you can now it's interesting too because i i'm i'm re-watching some episodes of will and grace in like 98 99 and the difference in language is unreal like they even say things where you're like, that just hurts the community as a whole for comedy's sake. And listen, comedians do that all the time. We could go back and really look at all that historically. Right. And to this day, I get it. It's comedy. You don't have to take everything so serious. However, just listening to that language, I was like, I don't, that's so interesting how we're just so used to, well, all used to it. Like you even said, you're like, I didn't see any, you had no examples really to right. even consider. Well, like, look, well, look, look. I did have examples, but, and if you ask a lot of um, trans folks, specifically like the 80s babies and the 90s, anything before, our examples were Jerry Springer and um, like Jenny Jones and, yeah. and Ricky Lake. And right. although those weren't the most positive representations, I do remember seeing trans women on the, like black trans women and just think, they're like, okay like what is the but i also remember the negative response and how they were ridiculed and how the adults when i was what i don't know why i was watching it but the adults that were there when i was watching it i remember the comments and i remember angry. the things that they said so um yeah angry comments you're like wait right people are so angry at these human beings i remember i think in 90 99 i went to like a, um LGBT like queer youth conference like overnight thing at a college with my boyfriend and we went they had a trans uh workshop and we went to that and people were like why are you here and I specifically remember going because I don't know like I don't know anything about this so can just tell your stories and let's just have a conversation we are not trans but we and I and very little knowledge comes out of that time period because of what Jerry Springer, Vicky, like they put these people are so angry yelling at them. I remember mm -hmm. walking all 
till dawn, all those things. And you're like, it's so crazy to th think and now it's 2020 and yes, we're getting a lot better. And for the first time ever, I think in the history of America, Biden happened to say something about transgender people. And I was like, no one's ever, I know he's another white guy in the White House as president, but no one's ever said that. Obama, I don't believe he said that. So um, we got to take these things into, you've got to really look at them. Um, and speaking of, can uh, you have a podcast? And I just want to read it correctly. Um, Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. What does box number 512 mean? Um, so we we named the podcast. So there's a we have a living icon in our community. Her name is Tracy African Norman, and she was actually one of the first um, Black trans models um, to have a contract with Clairol. So back in the late mid to late seventies, um, she was on a box of a Clairol um, Born Beautiful hair color box, and the box was five twelve dark, dark auburn. Oh. Um, so a little bit of her back backstory is. She was um like she was a big time model in the late seventies, early eighties. Well, what happened is there was a gay guy on set who was working on. She was shooting for like a Christmas shoot for Essence magazine. There was a gay man on set that knew her from her neighborhood in Newark, New Jersey. Out of her on set, um, she got the shoot instantly got was ended. Um, she was fired from the shoot, and then her work in the U.S. stopped. Um, so as a result of that, she left, went overseas and, mod and modeling, but she, she eventually came back to the States. So, but because she was outed and this was like early eighties, her career never, it, it was never the same again, but she eventually came to the ballroom scene where she was Tracy Africa and she eventually became icon. And if you watch Pose, much of, um, India Moore, her character storyline from season two, was um, inspired by Tracy Africa. Um, okay. And about a couple of years ago, Clairol um, did a, a, a series where they highlighted tra trailblazers and they invited Tracy Africa back and, get, and renewed her contract. And she, um, she was in this big campaign um, showing how even back then she was a trailblazer. So eventually, she got her roses, but um, she's somebody that's very important to the community. And I know me personally, when I uh, found out about her through the Trans Real blog ran by um, the late Monica Roberts, rest in peace, um, that was one of the first times where um, I realized that who I was, like I wasn't crazy, that I, I had been here, that I'm supposed to be here, that I come from a tapestry of history. And, and it just let me know that we have ancestors and now I have to start living my life on purpose um, because we have so much history that is being, or because trans people, particularly black trans women have purposely been erased from history and um, we have always been here. So that, that's why we named that box 512 just to um, honor her legacy and also celebrate um, black trans femininity um, in a way that I don't think it's been displayed in a podcasting format. Um, because oftentimes when you when particularly in the black culture space, when they have these trans conversations, there's always the, these one-off conversations and they're bogged down in like this trans one-on-one talk, which really, in my opinion, is a form of gaslighting. Because if you really don't know, in 2020, 
everybody has Google, and there are also Black trans content creators that are creating quality content content that can give you those answers. And when I'm on your platform to talk about trans murders, or I'm on your platform to talk about intimate partner violence that tra Black trans women experience um, at the hands of Black men. Um, you know, that's what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about when did I first like realize I was a girl or have I had the surgery or not when um, that's not the point of the conversation. So I, it was important for me to create something to show how complex and how dynamic and how regular we are and just how we feel about different situations. So. You're, I like you a lot. You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> because, sorry, I just, uh, I talk to a lot of people as, as well as you do. And you know, like you talk to a lot of people and you hear a lot of stories and you get, uh, you can get caught up in some, and then some you just, you're just listening and trying to understand and, and, and see it from all uh, aspects of what's going on in that person's life or how they got there or what, whatever it is. Um, but uh, I'm big into energy. So I, and I can feel it and I, and I appreciate your energy and the time that you've been putting into this. And I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to do social justice work as well. I didn't know why I wanted to do it. Um, but I finally found the reason for me because I do believe a lot of people speak on communities on behalf of the community and they don't, they don't know anything about it. You know, like they don't really know what's going on and they don't want to know because there's the truth and then there's their idea of something that's been created through media, social media, um, whatever it is. And that's sort of what they believe. It's amazing to me what people believe. <laughs> it's really, truly amazing that people don't take the time to, in 2020, to even go to the next town or go to a place that uh, they don't necessarily would go to on a daily basis just to talk to a different person. That, right. that to me is like mind boggling. And this is literally why we need um, civil rights lawyers and for people to have a voice that are afraid, like you said, they don't know. And they're afraid if they speak up, they might, something might happen to them because that's the way. Right. Right. Uh, so I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's amazing. Oh God. It's so cool. You're really, you're really cool. I really, it's a really, Thank you. really, really good work. What, um, so what, what has it been like though, actually during COVID? Cause I know <laughs> like there's been a lot of movements during COVID. There's been a lot of protests. Uh, um, a lot of actually black trans women have died during this time too many. And it's in this, in this year already. And it's, and I just, I just want people to, to keep hearing this. I will have someone say this over and over, like, tell me like what that experience has been like specifically during COVID um, and the work that we should continue to keep doing by getting voices out there what do you right think? so i know personally for me covid has been i've been thriving during covid um i've been able to work and get the podcast done but on a community level it you know this has been one of the most violent years on record for um trans folks um i think we're almost up to 40 um, deaths of trans women, what mainly them being um, trans women of color, dark skin, um, young trans women of color. And I think it speaks to, when you talk about the trans community, like you can't, you can't talk about the trans community without talking about how poverty impacts our community. 
um, how intimate partner violence impacts our community and just how all of those things, in addition to like the racism and the bigotry, like all of those things combined together, um, those create the things that we see when we see so many um, young people um, that are dying in the way that they are, or even um, people that are, even during COVID, um, people still having to engage in sex work in unsafe ways, right? So we're talking about street level sex work where people are still working a show and stuff like that. Um, I'm definitely pro sex work, but um, you know, everybody doesn't have access to internet. Everybody doesn't have access to computer to um, do it from their homes or everybody doesn't have access to housing to do it in your house um, to be safer. So I think, um, when we talk about this administration and how this administration um, has has disenfranchised a lot of folks, but how as a result of a lack of leadership, we have more and more people um, finding themselves in poverty, dealing with uh, financial insecurities and housing insecurities. And trans folks are not exempt from that. Um, I hope that we don't have to lose any more trans people. I'm hoping that once the Biden administration gets in in the 20th that um, we're able to really, uh, we're able to have like real leadership and really turn things around. But I just think it's uh, the murders and the violence that you're seeing, I think it's a sign of the other things that are larger things that are going on in this society, but mainly with um, the, the, wide, the, the, the wealth gap. Um, how the rich are getting richer and the poor people are getting poor, poorer and trans folks have always been poor, especially trans folks of color. We've always been poor. So we we are just out here and it, it shows how we need stronger policies and we really need to change policies. And we need to, in a capitalist world, we need to divest from things that don't work for human beings. Like we just, we can't, we can't, just have a, well, we got to do the bottom line. We have to get to a point where human life is, we can't, it's not expendable. We should, we should, especially these young, like 20, 17, 20, like the, I don't even remember 21. I don't even remember a lot of these ages because <laughs> I was just living my life. So to think that if I would have been murdered at that age, that everything that I'm doing now would have just been stopped, would have been truncated. I think it's a really sad, I think we have a lot of work to do. And even with the attack against Laverne Cox, it just goes to show us, everybody, that visibility does not save us, right? Visibility does not save us being, and you know, this is not to um, come for her or like shade her success because she is very successful. And all of our figures that are in the spotlight, um, Angelica Ross is the Jenna Mock, they are successful and they deserve everything they're getting. But the reality is it is still very violent for trans folks and people don't care about um, us being on TV shows or us being thought leaders. If they have the space and opportunity to harm us, they will do it. So we need better policies. We need to, we need, we do need to defund the police so that they're only being funded to do what they should do, which is to protect and serve everyone and not kill black, continue to kill black people and not continue to abuse and mistreat trans folks for just walking down the street with condoms in their purse. Um, so yeah, 
it's sad, but it just shows us that we still have a lot um, more work to do, and mainly in um, liberating people, and not and not just throwing money at people, but really changing the systems that keep people poor. Period. I mean, that's it. Like, it's the the um, the 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 gap. The wealth gap is is just the. It's so broad that. If people actually saw it, if actually people took it serious and saw it on paper, their their mouths would drop or not. You know, you know there's definitely people that don't care. Um, I don't want to say hum- the society as a whole uh, doesn't um, pay attention, but there are a, a good majority, as we can see from the voting, what happened with this election. There's still 70 million people that voted for that person. So you've got to under that. That's like that's a big deal. Um, right. It's a huge deal. Yes. Biden got it. Kamala's in there. It's fantastic. But like, there's still 70 million people that believe this person or believed that, that they were finally heard. They got a voice through him, which is crazy, but that's what it is. And that's what we dealt with for four years. So, well, I, um, I really appreciate the work you're doing for the community as a whole for the trans community, for the black trans community, um, black women. I mean, it's just like, I will talk about this over and over and over. I will never stop talking about it because the work just has to continue period. And it's, it's right. not even, not a matter of, it's not even up for argument. Like it's just, that has to continue. And um, I travel the world. I do work in India. And so you think trans rights here, you could go to a place like India, which is completely would blow your mind because it's a third right. sector. There's sex work is huge over there um, for uh, trans women and because otherwise they'd be on the street, you know, and uh, they take these that they create these houses, these homes, houses over there are different than houses over here. And um, so you just just keep learning. Um, I usually ask my guests now, like, do you have some words of wisdom for queer youth um, that are you know, coming out, staying in, doing what they need to do to survive in their mind and in their home and in their surroundings? Uh, I guess my only advice for the youth is to just maintain your militancy. Like, the the truth is the youth are the ones that are, like, really pushing us forward um, as older people to be more open-minded, to be more inclusive. So I think the youth are doing exactly... Um, what they need to do to create the world that they ultimately want to live in. Um, I know the younger youth, is particularly with the trans community, particularly with um, like trans kids and um, gender non-conforming kids, like they are the ones that are really um, pushing the culture forward. And I always try to center them and think of them in my work because um, we, we need them to survive, we need them to thrive. So, and also I want to, I always want to be in a position where I'm holding the door open for them because I eventually want the, I wanna, you know, I wanna step down from this work eventually so I can sit down in my ranch home or condo and just live out life and just be like, okay. Exactly. Um, 
Um, and also, I just encourage them to keep on learning, learning, learn your history, learn your, like, people are going to tell you, oh, this is new, and nobody has done this before, but, like, we've been here, like, we, we've been here, just continue, like, learning your history will strengthen your politics, will strengthen your analysis, but um, just maintain your militancy, like, push back, again. like, don't, don't let these administrate like, school administrations or whatever, um, don't allow them to steal your voice from you because that's ultimately what they want. They want, they want you, they want to scare you into conforming. They want to scare you into falling in line and doing what everybody else is doing, but that's not how real change is made. Real change is made first by people asking questions, being like, some, this is not right. Like something's not right about this. Why is this not right? And the more that you could question the more you begin to um, question and attempts to find the truth of how you are feeling about like inequality, that's where you will find the answer. So just continue to maintain your militancy. Also continue to um, seek the guidance of elders that have come before you. And just know that if they are not as nice or they're a little mean, just have grace with them because you have to think about the things that they had to survive to get to where they are. So just continue to, even if they, you know, can be a lot at times, just continue to show them grace because you have to think about, there were a lot of people that did not show them grace and that's probably why they are so harder, harder now. Go do it with grace. That's what I tell a lot of people because I'm like, just consider something other than they might be giving you attitude because you come across some old biddies and they're just nasty. But, right. but, that's their story. Find out why. And right. then I'm sure you're going to have a great conversation with them, most likely. And they're going to tell you some stuff that you're going to just be like, wow, I just never knew. And a lot of people are just waiting for people to ask them their story. That's all. Just just have a conversation. We can't disregard the, the elders in the community. And everybody's not being murdered, right? Like, even though a lot of people are being murdered, there are a lot of us that are aging and that we need to, like, in the LGBT community, we need to, like, truly be connected to our elders to really learn that story, to learn that history, to capture that, to document that history and make sure that we are exchanging information with each other intergenerationally. Because we lost, we, we've lost a lot of people. We lost a lot of people during the AIDS epidemic. We're losing a lot of folks to violence. And we just have to continue, continue traditions in our community and um, really listen to um, one another. As soon as you bridge the gap, the work is started. And if the work gets started and continues, and I can do, because I, I, I certainly can't do anything if you can't do anything. So if we can do it together, then at 100%, we will absolutely move it to get forward together. And it already is. I mean, it is working. I truly believe that at this moment in history, something is moving and, and uh, it, it, should, it should be hard. It will be hard, but it's going to be good. I, I have a feeling. I know it's right. still going to be hard for a while, but I think it's going to actually, for the first time ever in my, how many years I've said that, I'm like, I actually believe now there was no mistake of that person being in that White House. And there's no mistake, there's no mistakes and there's no accidents, I should say. And so it's pretty cool. Well, where can everybody find you? Um, they can find me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Brianna A. Jenkins. And that's Brianna with a Y and two N's. Um, they can also find me on Instagram, um, B-R-Y-A-N-N-A-J-E-S-Q. 
Um, I also am pretty active through the podcast social media pages. So we have a um, Instagram page, Box um, No Five One Two Podcast on Instagram, on Twitter, um, on Facebook. We're pretty active on there. Um, also, the podcast is available anywhere podcasts can be found. Um, and that will be Apple, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, uh, Anchor, and we also upload our videos um, to YouTube. Well, thank you for your time. You are a fantastic human being. Um, and I hope at some point we can all see each other again and be in person and, yes. and get past all of this. Thank you for your time today. I know. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Thank you, Brianna. You are I'd like to thank my honor sponsors, Michael J. Grabrowskis and Jose de la Cuesta. And look forward to season five, Queer Religion, which drops on January 27th. It's going to be a great season. Uh, I have a lot of amazing humans from all over the world, queer humans from all over the world, talking all things God, not God, queer, and queer and what each person brings inside of what they do for their faith. So take a look, listen, learn, and love. And I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and thanks for listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. And remember, listen, learn, Love.